Church, would you please stand with me as you're able for our scripture reading tonight? We'll be in Psalm 2 again. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves, and the rulers take counsel together against the Lord and against his anointed, saying, Let us burst their bonds apart and cast away their cords from us. He who sits in the heavens laughs. The Lord holds them in derision. Then he will speak to them in his wrath and terrify them in his fury, saying, As for me, I have set my king on Zion, my holy hill. I will tell of the decree, the Lord said to me, You are my son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage, and the ends of the earth your possession. You shall break them with a rod of iron and dash them in pieces like a potter's vessel. Now therefore, O kings, be wise. Be warned, O rulers of the earth. Serve the Lord with fear and rejoice with trembling. Kiss the Son, lest he be angry and you perish in the way, for his wrath is quickly kindled. Blessed are all who take refuge in him. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. Well, good evening. Thank you so much for being here. We're going to continue looking here at Psalm 2. Uh, last week, we got through a lot of Psalm 2, uh, about five words. And so, we're going to go back to verse 1, and I want to uh, look at the next five words after the word and. Before we get there, um, uh, I ask this group, people who come on Wednesday night, to uh, be praying for our Sunday morning services as we uh, started a series last week entitled Finding Forgiveness, and we'll be in that for three more weeks. Please keep praying for that. And just so you know, we have a partner church with us over in Hattiesburg, Mississippi, who's doing the study with us as well. And through one of their members, two of their members, two different members, um, actually the Finding Forgiveness devotionals are now in two addiction facilities in the state of Mississippi. And so please be praying for them as they go through it uh, with us as well. Uh, Psalm 2-1 starts with a question. Why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Last week we looked at the nations raging. We looked at this topic of anger. And we're asking the question, how can we be a servant of the Lord? How can you be a servant of God? Uh, what does that mean? What does that look like? And what does Psalm 2 have to tell us about that? We ended when we did the study on Psalm 1 by saying that Psalm 1 is about who is an authority over our life. Psalm 2 is a messianic psalm about Jesus, one of the most quoted chapters in the entire Bible. And even as we go through tonight, we're going to work our way through some Old Testament themes and some facts and truths about being a servant. And we're going to work our way into the New Testament. But last time, uh, last week, we talked about anger and how that when we give in to anger. And rage is just out of control anger. When we give in to anger, we are actually participating with the antichrist spirits that are very much alive and well in the world right now. And so if we're going to be a servant of the Lord, we have to deal with that anger. We talked about how to kill our own anger. The second part of this verse says, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? Why do the peoples plot in vain? And that's what I want to look at. There's a universal truth uh, that I think is very important for us to always keep in the forefront of our mind. And that universal truth is that we are either going to cooperate with God at any given moment, 
or we are going to be conspiring against God at any given moment. We're either going to be cooperating with God in how we live our life or we're going to be conspiring against God and his ways in how we live our life. We're going to be cooperating with God in how we manage our life, the decisions that we make. Or we're going to be conspiring against God in how we manage our life and the decisions that we make. And so many times we say, you know, well, my life is my life. It really doesn't have a big effect on other people. And, you know, as long as I go through life and I just really don't hurt anybody, then I should be okay. And the problem with that way of thinking is that's just not how life works. Your decisions affect you, and therefore your decisions affect those around you. And they have effects everywhere and with everybody that you touch and that you live with, that you know that you're an acquaintance with. You may not even know them deeply, but still, you have a witness, and that witness matters. Or sometimes we say, you know, well, I just want to be a good person as long as I don't do some certain bad things, right? Some certain bad sins. As long as I don't do the big bad sins, well, then, then I'll be a good person. And I'm defining myself being a good person by omitting a few bad things I think are really, really bad. Well, again, that's just not how it works. To live a godly life, and what it means to live a godly life is that we live our life cooperating, constantly cooperating with God. And so again, if we want to be a servant, a servant, we must keep this idea in the forefront of our minds that as I go through life, as I live life, as I make decisions, I want to make those decisions cooperating with the will of God in my life. And so servants, I would say, align their life with God. And again, I'm going to pull these from the Old Testament. Servants align their life with God in five particular ways. The first one is that servants know that there are plans for evil, and there are plans for peace. I would even say peace that brings joy. There are plans for evil and there are plans for peace. And we get to choose on any given uh, day, any given moment, any given situation, the decisions we make are either going to take us down a road of evil or take us down a road of peace. And that's why whenever we're making our decisions, we have to ask questions like, is this decision that I'm making right now, is this going to keep me in the will of God as a Christian? As a Christian, just start there. When it comes to the will of God in your life, the, the first kind of layer of God's will for your life is just for you to live as a Christ follower, right? So is this decision my, I'm making, is this going to help me cooperate with the will of God in my life as a follower of Christ? And then you could ask the second question, and that is, is this decision that I'm making help me cooperate with the will of God for me as a Christian? That's different. Because sometimes we have a little different convictions, not on big things, but on smaller things. And the question is, what helps you stay in communion with God? So you have to start with the question, does this decision help me cooperate with the will of God as a Christian? And then also for me personally as well. Because again, there are plans for evil and there are plans for peace. And the, and the reason why this is so important is because an unrenewed mind can't tell the difference. An unrenewed mind cannot tell the difference between the two. Proverbs 12, uh, 20 says, deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. You're going to see that word devise a lot tonight. But those who plan peace have joy. Now, notice that it says, deceit is in the heart of those who devise evil. That word devise there means to plow or literally to engrave, who engrave evil. 
But those who plan peace, that word plan there means that I have decided to do something different than devising evil. Those who plan peace, the result of that is they have true joy in life. And the same thing, this, this decision is for all of us. Especially if you're going to be a servant of the Lord, as you're looking at your life, as you're making decisions in your life, you need to say, is what I'm doing right now, is this going to bring evil? Am I going to be engraving evil on myself and those around me? Or, or am I going to make a different decision? A decision to walk the road of peace that's going to bring joy in my life and for those around me. The second point is that servants know that God hates evil plans. While we know there's a difference between planning for evil, walking that road, or the path of peace, servants live with this understanding that is based in reality that God hates, and I'm using that word very uh, particularly, God hates evil plans. I get that from Zechariah chapter 8. Zechariah 8, 16 and 17 says, these are the things that you should do. Speak the truth to one another. Render at your gates judgments that are true and make for peace. There's the word peace. Verse 17, do not devise evil, there's that word again, in your hearts against one another and love no false oath. For all these things I hate, declares the Lord. I hate them. You may be sitting there going, I didn't know God hated anything. Oh yes, oh yes. It's mentioned in Proverbs and in other places too. And so, if we're going to serve the Lord, if we're going to align our hearts with Him, our lives with Him, we have to understand, at any given moment, we have two choices. Remember that big theme from Psalm 1? There are two choices that we have. And one of those roads, God hates. Because He hates the effects of evil on us. He hates how evil affects people that He dearly loves. Number three, is that servants then... Pray against the evil plotting of others. Servants pray against the evil plotting of others. In Jeremiah 18, that famous chapter where Jeremiah is talking about being the potter in the clay. Jeremiah is actually under attack if you keep reading that and you go down to verse 18. And then in verse 23, Jeremiah prays and he says, Yet you, O Lord, know all their plotting to kill me. Again, that started back, it's revealed back in verse 18. Forgive not their iniquity, nor blot out their sins from your sight. Let them be overthrown before you and deal with them in the time of your anger. Now, Jeremiah there is turning his enemies over to the Lord in this sense. But notice, notice how he is praying against the evil that's being plotted. And one of the things that we need to do as Christians is that when we see the evil plans of the enemy coming to pass or starting to spring up in some way, we need to pray against those things. And a lot of times we get so stuck in our prayer life that it's all consumed about me and what I'm going through or what I want or what I need or what I think. When we need to look out too and see, Lord, reveal to me how the evil one is at work around me. And I want to pray against those but we not only pray against those things, verse uh, number four, not verse four, point four, is that sometimes we have to speak out about those things. Sometimes as servants of the Lord, we not only pray in secret, but sometimes we have to go public. And sometimes we have to communicate and speak out against the results of people or the plotting of evil people. In Second Chronicles 24, we see this. King uh, Joash 
uh, has committed a grievous sin against the Lord. And it says this, Then the Spirit of God clothed um, Zechariah, son of Jehoiada, the priest, and he stood above the people and said to them, here's what he said, Thus says God, Why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you cannot prosper? Now notice what he's saying. He's saying, you have broken the commandments of the Lord, and this is never going to lead to prospering in your life. You remember that word prosper from Psalm 1, right? And notice he's speaking out in this moment, but it gets worse. After he says this, why do you break the commandments of the Lord so that you will not prosper? Because you have forsaken the Lord, he has forsaken you. Verse 21, but they conspired, notice that word, against him. By the command of the king, again, that's King Joash, they stoned him with stones in the court of the house of the Lord. He's being persecuted for what he said. A verse that's not on there is actually verse 22. It's not on the screen. The next verse says, as he lay there dying, he said, may the Lord see this and call you to account. And I point that out about the prophets, and we know that they killed the prophets uh, many times. But sometimes as a servant of the Lord, we're called to speak to speak out against evil that's in the world no matter the consequences. And boy, that can be uncomfortable, can't it? That's when we say, Lord, can I just go back to my prayer closet? (laughs) Right? No, you have to do the prayer part because if you don't do the prayer part, you'll never do the speaking part when called upon. You never will. And so what we see here is that when it comes to serving the Lord, two rows. There's a path of evil. We can plan evil or we can plan for peace that will bring joy into our life. We understand that God hates one of those paths. Sometimes as servants, we are, we're called to pray, but we're also called to speak. But number five is this, and I love this point, is that as servants of the Lord, we're called to conspire. Conspire for the good of others. Conspire for the good of others. When was the last time you were a part of that conspiracy? When was the last time you were plotting and planning for the good of others, for the blessing of others? I don't have this verse on the screen, but Hebrews 10 tells us that we are to think about ways that we can spur one another on to love and good works, to take time to think about ways that we can do that, to literally conspire with God about being a blessing to other people because servants do that. Again, we get a warning in Proverbs 24, verses 1 and 2. It says, Do not be envious of evil men, nor desire to be with them, not even in their company. For their hearts devise violence. There's that word again. And their lips talk of trouble. Notice that what's going on in their hearts, it comes out of their mouth. Because out of the mouth, the heart speaks, right? But instead, we are called to live in another way. And Solomon gives us that way in Proverbs 14, 22. He says, and rhetorically, do they not go astray who devise evil? There's the word again. Those who devise good meet steadfast love and faithfulness. Again, the two ways. You can go about down the path of evil or you go down the path of peace. You can plan for evil or you can plan for peace. You can devise evil or you can devise good. Again, you can, you can conspire with others for other people's good in their life. And notice what that verse says. It says those who devise good and good we know in a, in a Jewish context, good means godly, right? 
We can devise godly plans. And when we do, we meet. That word meet. We're joined together with something. We meet, we are joined together with the steadfast love and faithfulness. Of who? Of God. We are actually cooperating with God. We're cooperating with God's love. We're cooperating with God's faithfulness when we conspire for the good of other people. That is amazing. And that should be our goal. Remember I told you the word devise means to plow or to engrave? We use this term in our uh, culture a lot. Uh, we, we say like, what mark are you leaving? And that's really, it gets at that word. It's as if every person we come in contact with, the people that we get to be around, we're going to leave a mark on them. We're going to engrave something. We're going to devise something. And like Proverbs 14 says, are we going to devise evil? Or are we going to engrave good? Are we going to leave people that we get to come in contact with and the imprint on their soul is going to be something good, something of God? That's what a servant wants. That's why a servant will sometimes speak against evil that's being plotted. That's why a servant will pray against evil that's being plotted. That's why a servant lives with this reality that we know that God hates evil plotting. And that's why we know there are two ways to live. You can plot, you can devise, you can plan for evil, or you can plan for good. And the servant wants to make that second choice and leave an impression on people of the goodness of God because it's him working through them. Are you with me there? Now, we all know that serving the Lord is hard. There are times when it's hard. It's a battle. Absolutely. Absolutely. And because of this, if you're going to be a servant, there, I think there are three things that you'll find comfort in and we need to remind ourselves of. The first thing is that servants understand that the world will hate them. If you're a servant, the world is going to hate you. This fallen world, the systems, the sin that runs rampant hates people who want to serve the Lord. That's why Psalm 37, 12 says, the wicked plots against the righteous. Wickedness will always plot against righteous, righteousness. And then it says, and gnashes his teeth at him. That's a great image. Gnashes his teeth in anger and disdain. In anger and disdain, evil will always plot against righteousness. Psalm 38 verse 12 says, those who seek my life lay their snares. Those who seek my hurt speak of ruin, and look at this, and meditate treachery all day long. That word meditate that you see on the screen there is an interesting word because it's the same word in Psalm 2.1. In Psalm 2.1 it's just translated plot. But it's the same word. And those who seek my life lay their snares. That's going to happen. Those who seek my hurt speak of my ruin and they meditate. They plot treachery all day long. The word plot, I didn't define it earlier. The word plot there in Psalm 2.1, the word meditate right here, again, same word. It means to growl in disdain. Do you see the feeling behind that? To growl? When was the last time you growled at somebody? Right? And we all know what it means when a... Well, some of you have kids, so I understand. But... And we know what it means when a dog's growling at us, right? This is not a good sign. But it's this guttural image that it gives us. 
that when, when I say the evil will plot against the righteousness, it's not just kind of like, well, I hope I can get them today. No. It, it's a battle. It's a war. It's deep. It's ingrained. Because what's been engraved on their heart, in their mind, in their soul, is evil. And that's what comes out. And so they meditate, they plot, they growl with disdain. They want treachery to happen no matter what it takes. And so we pray. We pray what the psalmist prayed in Psalm 64 too. Hide me from the secret plots of the wicked. From the throng of evildoers. That word throng there means the raging and shouting. The raging and shouting of evildoers. Remember rage? Why do the nations rage? And that's our prayer. Because we know that the world is going to hate us. If you're going to take the road of righteousness, if you're going to take the road of peace, you're going to take the road that leads to joy, you're going to take the road of good and godly, it's not going to be widely accepted. And then sometimes we act surprised when it's not. Number two, servants understand, though, that plots against God will never succeed. Those who plot against God are never going to succeed. Psalm 21 verse 11 says, though they plan evil against you, God, though they devise, there's the word again, mischief, they will not succeed. Nahum is speaking to Nineveh and Nahum 1 9-11 says, what do, you, uh, what do you plot against the Lord? He will make a complete end. Trouble will not rise a second time. From you came one who plotted evil against the Lord. He was a worthless counselor. A worthless counselor. The best plotting from the wisdom of evil men will not succeed against the Lord. And as a servant, we have to remind ourselves of this. Yes, it's true, it is true that when it comes to this world we live in, this fallen world, it's always going to hate what is righteous, good, and godly, absolutely. But at the same time, all the plotting and all the scheming is not going to succeed against God. But number three is also true, and that is that servants understand that the plots against them will not succeed. Not only will the plotting against God not succeed, but the plotting against his people, his children will not succeed either. Psalm 31, 13 says, for I hear the whispering of many, the terror on every side as they scheme together against me as they plot to take my life. Again, that's Psalm 31. A few Psalms later in Psalm 35, 4, he's, he's praying this, let them be put to shame and dishonor who seek my life. Notice the same language. Let them be turned back and disappointed who devise evil against me, the psalmist says. And we have to take that same attitude. While we look around like Psalm 31 and we see terror on every side, and somehow we get in, sometimes we get in situations we don't think there's no good way out of this, we have to come back to Psalm 35 and say, Lord, let them be put to shame. Lord, let them experience dishonor who seek my life. Let them be turned back and disappointed because they're devising evil against me. Now, all of that, I said I was taking that from the Old Testament. Because Psalm 2 here, we see all these themes, these plotting themes, these, uh, you know, plans that the evil plan against the righteous 
But ultimately, they are all fulfilled in Jesus. Psalm 2, as I said, is a messianic psalm, ultimately about Jesus and about the nations, the pagan nations, Gentile nations, raging in anger against Jesus and plotting against Jesus. And we see this in Jesus' life. We see it in his life. Number one, it's fulfilled in the Pharisees. We see Psalm 2 partially fulfilled by the Pharisees. Matthew 12, 14 says, but the Pharisees went out and conspired against him how to destroy him. Whenever you read that verse, a lot of times we'll read that and we go, well, yeah, we know that kind of happened. He is walking and living out Psalm 2 right there. Not only was it the Pharisees, Psalm 2 is fulfilled through the religious leaders of Jesus' day. Matthew 26, verse 3 and 4 says, Then the chief priest, there's one group, and the elders of the people, there's another group, gathered in the palace of the high priest, whose name was Caiaphas, there was another one, and plotted, notice the word, and plotted together in order to arrest Jesus by stealth and kill him. Right there again, fulfilling Psalm 2. We see John eleven fifty three. 53. So from that day on, they made plans to put him to death. Again, most of the time we read right over sentences like that. But that one sentence that we see in John 11 is fulfilling Psalm 2. Not only was it the Pharisees, not only was it the religious leaders, it was also the government leaders. We see the early church declaring this in Acts 4.27. It says, For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, notice the next three words, whom you anointed. Where's that language come from? A little later in Psalm 2. Both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, all four are mentioned. They were gathered together against. They were plotting against the anointed one. And so the ultimate rage and the ultimate plotting that ended in vanity, remember Psalm 2, 1, why do the nations rage and the peoples plot in vain? It is in vain. The ultimate rage and plotting that ends in vanity was against Jesus himself. You see, the cross was supposed to be the end of him. Instead, it ended up being what he used. It ended up serving him for the purpose of salvation. The nations were raging. The nations, literally the government leaders, the religious leaders were plotting and it was all in vain because of the resurrection. The example of being a servant who cooperates with God runs all the way through the Old Testament and the New. Ultimately coming to its peak in who Jesus is. And then it's Jesus who looks at us and he says, John 15, 18. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. He says, guys, I walk through this. And you will too. The nations have raged against me. It was in vain. You'll experience that too. People plotted against me. It was in vain. But you will experience that too. That's why 1 Peter 2, 21 says, For this you have been called. I want to tell you what you're called to right here. For this you have been called. You're going to love this. Because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you an example, an example of suffering, so that you might follow in his steps. Those of you have been around Fraser for a while, that sounds familiar. And it's about suffering. It's 
about sacrifice. And a part of our calling, part of our calling, again, is just as Jesus experienced the raging of the nation, so will we, but it will be in vain. Just as Jesus experienced people plotting against him, so will we, but it will be in vain. That's why James 1, 2, this is not on the screen, says, count it all joy when you fall into various trials. Count it all joy because it's ultimately going to be in vain. The raging and the plotting, it's not going to stop. But ultimately, it will not succeed. And one day, when Jesus returns, everybody will see the vanity of it. Every one of us. Whether you believe it now or not, we'll all see it. In the meantime, we as servants, when we go through the raging and the anger of others, when we go through the plotting of others, and we have to live with that and deal with that, just know we're going to count it all joy. As I go through this trial, I'm going to count it all joy. Because I know, as James 1 says, this that I'm going through, the raging and the plotting of others, it's for my perfection, James says. It's in vain on their part. What they plan will not come to pass the way they want it to. Instead, God is going to resurrect it and it's going to be my, for my perfection. Amen? Amen. Amen? I think that's no better way to enter into a time of communion than to remember that the cross was supposed to be the end of him. And instead it served him and it was our salvation. So let's pray. Father, thank you so much. Thank you for the victory. Thank you for the glory that is seen. That the nations can rage all they want to and it's vanity. People can plot against you, your servant, your anointed one, and his servants and it's vanity. Thank you that you are the God who raises the dead. You are the God who turns it around. You are the God who takes what seems to be meaningless and you bring it to life and give it meaning. You're the God of resurrection. Thank you, Lord. Help us become your servant. Mold us into the image of the servant, into the image of Jesus himself. And would you do it even now? It's in Jesus' holy and anointed name we pray. And everybody said,